where we are. So Pharaoh, you know, gave Joseph's brothers food, clothes, and chariot and wagons to 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 and he sent those gifts with them to the land of Canaan so that they will bring their father and all their family members up to Egypt. That's where we are. So when the brothers came down and they had the conversation with their father, the father first didn't believe them that Joseph was alive, but the brothers showed Joseph the chariots and all the gifts that the Pharaoh provided, and that persuaded Jacob that his son Joseph was alive. Once he was convinced, now the entire family, right, got on the wagon, store all their goods, and they're traveling down to Egypt. So this is Israel right here, and this is Egypt, right? So you're kind of going south. They're traveling southwest down, okay? So Jacob and all of his family members in a long caravan, right? Long caravan of wagons. They're coming down to Egypt. It was interesting to see that Joseph and all his... Jacob and all his family members decided to bring all their possessions, all their sheep, all their livestock with them to Egypt. And this is interesting because Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 45 told the family, hey, you don't have to bring anything. I'll give you everything. Just travel empty. All, leave all your stuff in the land of Canaan and just come, just come as you are because I will provide you for what is best. And that was communicated to Jacob, and yet Jacob and his family members still packed all their stuff, right? And, you know, and came to Egypt. It's like, when I go to Korea, my mom goes shopping, she gives me, like, this bag of kim, right? And this bag of, like, like dried fish, even though we have Kim and dry fish in America, right? Because this isn't 1980s America anymore. We have all that stuff here. She still gives me all these unnecessary things because mom loves me, right? And so, but it's kind of, it's kind of unnecessary. Why is Jacob and his family bringing all these things where in, even though Pharaoh promised them, they didn't have to bring? One guess is, right, because, because it's not specifically mentioned why they did that, but one guess is, they say, it's because Jacob and his family were still very unsure of who Pharaoh was and whether Pharaoh is going to truly live up to his word, right? Jacob and his children are naturally suspicious people. Wouldn't you be suspicious if the most powerful man of the world promises you to give a life of lavish luxury? Right? Wouldn't you be suspicious? I would be. It's too good to be true. So I think there's a kind of a mistrust in Jacob's mind of whether Pharaoh is always really going to give him what he promised. In fact, according to Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of the 19th century, he says Jacob would have been afraid to go to Egypt. 
It's true when his son said, your long lost son Joseph is a ruler of the land and he invites you to join him. It's true that because Jacob hadn't seen Joseph for 22 years, of course he wants to just rush and see his son, right? Wouldn't you, right? Of course you want to just rush and see his son because you haven't seen the guy in 22 years, of course. But there's also a fear involved. There's also a fear involved. Why, why is Jacob afraid? Number one, once again, number one, because he doesn't know Pharaoh, a Kudispurgeon. And number two, Egypt was a pagan nation. They did not believe in the living God. They worshipped idols. They were pagans. Not pagans, but pagans. Ukrainians will understand that, right? They're pagans. They did not worship the living God. And number three, Egyptians mistreated the Hebrews, the Jews. They looked down on them. And number four, their father Abraham did not have the best experience when he went down to Egypt. Remember that story? When Abraham, his grandfather, Jacob's grandfather, was in the land of there was a famine in the land of Canaan, so he moved down to Egypt. But the king of Egypt saw how beautiful Abraham's wife was and said, Hey, Abraham, who is that attractive woman next to you? And Abraham said, She's my sister. Have her, take, take her, please. Coward. So they don't have. The family of Abraham's family, Jacob's family, don't, they don't have the best experience in Egypt. So unknown king, they are ignorant of the living God. They look down upon the Hebrews and family tragedy, family history, all kind of made Jacob worried, right? It's like a, it's like a complex emotion. It's like a, like a telenovela drama, you know what I mean? On one hand, he wants to see his son run there as fast as he can. But on the other hand, there's all these, there's all these unknown. What is a man to do? What is a man to do? Right? Am I spelling out the, the dilemma here? We find in verse 1 of chapter 46, he's in the land of Beersheba. The caravan stops at the land of Beersheba. Beersheba is the most southwest border between Israel and Egypt. Once you cross Beersheba, you're in the land of Egypt, right? Beersheba is in the land of Canaan, God's promised land. But once you leave Beersheba, you're in Egypt, like you know, upstate New York, that Peace Bridge. Once you hit Buffalo, you're in Toronto, you're in Canada, eh? Right? Likewise. And Canadians are super nice, eh? But not Egyptians, eh? Egyptians are mean. So, like, so, so Jacob is right there. This is like the last part of God's land belonging to him. If he sets another foot, he's in Egypt. Land of Hebrew-hating pagans. 
What is a boy to do? What is a boy to do? What does Jacob do? Does he curl up in a ball and just stress out? Does he play PlayStation? Does he have a strategy session with his, with his sons to see what the best way to go for is? By the way, Jacob is a naturally, Jacob by his nature is a liar and a chicken. He's a coward. All his life, Jacob either lied or was afraid. So this is not a comfortable place that Jacob is right now. What do you do with the stress? What do you do with the longing? What do you do? What does one do? What do you do when you're stressed? What do you do when you're perplexed? What do you do when you don't, you don't seem to have all the answers? What do you do? What did Jacob do? Jacob worships God. That's what verse 1 says, right? So Israel, Israel's Jacob, took his journey with all that he had to came to Beersheba. And when he offered Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. When the perplexity and the fear came upon him, good old Jacob worshipped God in Beersheba. What is the significance of Beersheba? Beersheba is a land in Genesis chapter 21. Abraham, his grandfather, set up an altar before the Lord, and he worshipped him there. Not only so, Genesis chapter 21, Abraham made an altar and worshipped God in Beersheba. Genesis chapter 26 Jacob's father, Isaac, worshipped God in Beersheba. Jacob worshipped God in Beersheba. Jacob is from a long line of worshippers of the living God. Jacob is a descendant of Abraham and Isaac who were the worshipers of the living God. As I said in the call of worship, this is how you define what a people of God, who the people of God are. The people of God, more than anything else, are the worshipers of the living God. Do you understand? I know we think of God in terms of the benefit that he gives. We think of God as God who provides us with eternal life, God who provides for our needs in this world, and that's all true. But that's not at the core of the Christian identity. At the core of Christianity, it's not, it's not even God loving you. That's not the core of God's your identity. The core of a Christian's identity, a Christian is a worshiper of the living God. Do you understand? 
what salvation is, is the love of God changing you into a worshiper of who he is. The love of God is not this warm feeling that he has towards you. That's not, I mean, I guess God does feel warmly towards his people. That's all true. But the love of God is more than a warm feeling. The love of God is a transformative power that transforms a person who once worshipped the wrong thing and transformed this person into the worshiper of the living God. How do you know that God loves you? Is it because he gave you a job that you wanted? Or he gave you a wife that you wanted? Sure, why not? But more fundamentally, the way the Bible describes the love of God, you know that God loves you if he changes you into a worshiper of the living God. What sin is, the byproduct of sin, is you worship the wrong thing. Everyone, there's no atheist, let's be honest. Even though people who claim they don't believe in God, there are really no atheists because they, everyone worships something, and that's true. And the thing that we worship before the living God, as shiny and as awesome as they may have seen, they, they, may, they may seem, the thing that we worship oftentimes destroys us. The world says, worship the shiny, bright thing called success, or worship the shiny, bright thing called a dude, or worship the shiny, bright thing called the beautiful woman, or worship this cute little baby called your child, or worship this like beautiful, well-manicured lifestyle called, I don't know, McLean, Virginia. But the thing, the shiny thing that the world says worship, when you do worship those things, either leaves you empty and hollow, or it ends up destroying and rotting your soul. What you worship, you bear fruit in accordance to what you worship. That's what the Bible says. And if you worship something else other than God, you will remain spiritually dead and you remain and you will go into spiritual spiral destruction. Best example that I can think of, by God's grace, man, best example I can think of this week was Shia LaBeouf. You know Shia LaBeouf? Even Stevens, Transformer fame, you know? Boyfriend of Megan Fox and Transformers. That's science fiction right there, you know what I'm saying? Right? Shia LaBeouf, Mr. Transformer. I had no idea. But he lived a very, very messed up existence. Addicted to drugs, addicted to ego, abused women and people around him. I saw an interview that he did with a Catholic priest. And it was an hour-long interview. 
And this is what he said. He said, I used to worship my ego. It was all about my ego, how satisfied I was, what benefit I will receive. He said, I, even when he was an unbeliever, he used to make fun and argue with Christians because that fed his ego. He said, I worship my ego. But I, what I didn't realize was my ego was driving my life into spiral chaos. He abused women, he said. He abused drugs, he says. Everything in my life was falling apart because I worshipped my ego. Hollywood didn't want him anymore. His mom disowned him publicly. His mom said, I had nothing to do with my son. Women were accusing him of sexual misconduct. His career was over, he said. For God's grace, he got a part of a, of a, of a saint in the Catholic Church. So as his research of that saint, because he had no other acting jobs coming in, as a part of his research of that saint, he lived in a Catholic monastery for three months. And the priest and the nuns ministered to him. And he realized that God was real and that he needed God. After three months of being ministered to, his eyes were open to God. And he realized, before God, I had all this money and I had all this freedom, but the money and the freedom were, were destroying me because I was worshiping my ego. Seeing God made me realize there's a structure to reality, and I want to live in accordance to that structure. He's a changed man, Shia LaBeouf. That's what worship looks like. What worship, when you worship the living God, it transforms you. God wants you to worship him, not because he's an egomaniac, but it is when you properly worship him that you become this person that God has designed you to be. Right? When you don't worship God, you will never be what he designed you to be. Your ego, your pride, your interest, what you want, what you think you want, what you think you deserve, the, all of it will take precedence in your life. But when God, when you worship God on an everyday basis, he transforms you. The purpose of salvation is not the benefits that God gives you per se, which are many. Worship itself is the purpose of your salvation. Worship is not this 
spiritual exercise like broccoli that God wants you to just do it because it's good for you, even though you don't want to do it. That's not what worship is. Worship, private worship. By the way, I don't like the word quiet time. It just sounds so like cheesy. I'm enjoying my quiet with God. My quiet times, there's nothing quiet about my quiet times. I'm, I like called private worship. The private worship and the public worship of God's, with God's people, that's, that is the in it of itself, the purpose of salvation. When you worship God, he does change you. He really does on a daily basis. Like I said in the prayer of confession, people have the wrong idea about what worship is. When I, like, like I said in the call of worship, I asked this brother, before he was a Christian, I said, before you were a Christian, did you pray? He says, nope. Did you read the Bible? He says, nope. Did you think you were a Christian, I asked? He said, yes. And I, said, I asked, in what basis did you claim that you were a Christian? Why did he think he was a Christian? He couldn't tell me. Similarly, if I ask an average person, are you a worshiper of God? They'll say yes. And I'll ask, do you read the Bible? Most people will say nope. Do you pray on regularly? They say nope. Do you attend church on Sunday regularly? Nope. Are you a worshiper of God? Yep. May I ask how you explain that discrepancy? How can you be the worshiper of God and not worship him? How is that possible? Worshiping God has to take place in time and space. It's a physical act of worship. Worshiping God is not this nebulous state of identity that you think you are, but worship is what you actually do in this world, right? Carving out time in your life, in your, in your day, to commune with him. In scripture and in prayer, coming together with the people of God on Sunday to worship him. You could have been outside sleeping, playing golf, I suppose, going to brunch. Do people still go to brunch? Yeah, I went to brunch a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday. It was okay, overpriced, but it's okay. You could have gone outside drinking $10 mimosas, I suppose. I got distracted by mimosas. But worshiper of God means saying no to all that and coming here with God's people to worship him. That makes you a worshiper of the living God, right? When you do that, it really does change how you live daily. When you worship God on a daily basis, he does change you on a daily basis. Give an example of Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf, his mom publicly disowned him. That's cold, right? 
His mom says, I looked at what my son did, and what he did was reprehensible, by the way. I looked at the allegations of what he did. I was so offended by what he did, right? His mom says, publicly, I, I disown him. Shia LaBeouf was saying, that's cold. You're my mom. You're supposed to be unconditionally loving to me. How can that be, mom? So he didn't speak with his mom for years. But as God is in that monastery, the priest said, you should pray daily. As he was praying, Shia LaBeouf feel the Holy Spirit telling him, do something loving that day. Do something loving that day. So he picks up his phone and calls his mom and says, Mom, I love you. And hangs up. For a guy who hasn't talked to his mom for years, where did that love come from? It came outside of who he was. When you worship God on a daily basis, the courage you need to live that day, the love that you need to live that day, the purpose you need to live that day, it comes to you on a, on a daily basis. Do you understand? Once again, worshiping God, private worship is not broccoli. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of that day's spiritual life. One of my favorite things to do is I really like running like an old man. This is how I run. Really, this is speed. This is speed that I run every day in my neighborhood, right? And I listen to sermons as I run. That's my favorite passion. That's my hobby. And I was listening to a sermon by Paul Washer the other day. Paul Washer is this he's a guy, he's a head of a missionary society. He spent years in South America, in the jungles of South America, preaching the gospel. He was in the rough parts of South America. He wasn't in the resort of Cabo Cabo or, you know, you know, Bermuda. He was in the dangerous trenches of South America where people get killed for being a Christian. He's going into a jungle full of snakes, full of bears, full of whatever that can kill you. Surrounded by people who want to kill you. To a town, to a village town that will not respond to the gospel. That's the missionary's life. Missionary's life is not, it's not like visiting a place one week and say, oh, they have it so hard and leaving to your, back to America. That's not really a missionary's lifestyle. A missionary's lifestyle is just planting there and living the life, Right? Paul Washer said he, there was a young man in his like six, 16, 17. The man was afraid to go with Paul Washer to the jungle. But the only reason why, he, why that young man went with Paul Washer to the jungle, well, not because, it's not because he was a courageous young man, but quite simply because that young man stood before God on a daily basis. 
because he faced God on a daily basis. God gave him the courage to go to the jungle on a daily basis. He wasn't this courageous young man on fire for the Lord 24-7. He was a weak man who needed the grace of God on a daily basis, and God provided him that grace as he worshipped him, as he worshipped God on a daily basis. That's why it is so essential for us to private worship him. That is why it's so essential for, for us to come together as the body of Christ to worship him. Jesus says, God is looking for true worshipers of God, he says. God is looking for true worshipers of God. People who worship God in the spirit and in truth. God is actively looking for those type of people. People who commune with God through the Holy Spirit. People who commune with God through the truth. My dear friends, is that you? Let's talk about the elephant in the room, right? Let's talk about the reasons why we don't privately worship. Let's talk about it. What's the number one reason why people say, I don't worship God on a private basis? Why? What's the number one reason why people don't come to church on Sundays? Why? Let's, 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 let's talk about it. Let's be honest. Number one reason says, I'm tired. Trust me when I say I know what tiredness looks like. I've been tired for the last decade. Trust me when I say I know what weariness looks like. I'm pretty sure after this Sunday, after I preach my heart out, I talk to you good people, and I go to my house, I'll eat my lunch, unless my wife eats half of it, still bitter about it, I will go to my house, eat my food, and I will clonk out, and I will not be able to move for three hours. That's true. I will be so exhausted, I will not be able to move for three or four hours. That's true. That's why if you text me on Sundays, I'm not answering because I'm in a coma. I know what it means to be tired, yo. I know what it means to work 100 hours. I know what it means. I don't really know what it means to raise a toddler because, you know, I outsource that. But I know what it means to be tired. But with all due respect, I find myself being more tired if I don't worship him. It is my experience that all the Netflix and all the naps in the world cannot give me true rest, like the rest I see when I worship him. It's true. In fact, when I use that as an excuse of not, if I, work, if I use my tiredness as an excuse of not worshiping him, my soul will slowly corrode. Do you know? Your soul will slowly corrode to the point where the burdens of this life will be, be overwhelming to your spirit and your mind. Honestly, I have no idea how unbelievers live, I say. Because they're living in this constant stressful existence without finding true rest in God. That's the true weariness. 
Look, am I a perfect, do I have 100 batting, is that, is that good, 100 batting average? What's, what's the perfect batting average? Okay, 1,000. Do I bat 1,000 on, on my private worship time? Of course I don't. Sometimes I wake up and I can't move. I could go to the hospital, by the way. That can be good, right, if I can't move? Anyway, and sometimes I can't. But by God's grace, most of the time that I do, because for the simple fact that I know I get no rest until I find my rest in God, it's, it's Augustine saying, but it's true. Worship God, y'all. Worship God. He will reveal himself to you. And that's what happened to Joseph Jacob as he worshipped God. Interesting. I read the entire chapter. I'm still on verse 1 and we're almost done. What to do? What did God do? What did, so Jacob worshipped God. In verse 2, 3, and 4, God reveals himself to Jacob. Verse 2, God appears to, Jake, to Jacob in a dream and says, Jacob, Jacob. He said, here I am I. What we can learn from verse 2 is when Jacob worshipped God, he understood that God knew him intimately. How do you know? When the Bible says someone's name twice, it means feeling of intimate closeness. Jacob, Jacob means, when you repeat something twice in the Old, when you repeat a name twice in the Old Testament, it means the person has an, an emotional affection towards you. When God calls Jacob, 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 it means God intimately knows Jacob and loves Jacob. One of the great benefits of privately worshiping him and publicly worshiping him is you get to know that you are known and seen by God. I think that's one of the number one benefits that I receive. When you pray, when, you, when I literally walk with God in the Catholic church by my neighborhood, nothing is hidden from God. Nothing about me is hidden from God. God knows me. And I am seen by God. Most of the people on the, in, in the Western world are driven by the desire to be seen and known. That's what it basically is. You want to be successful because you want to be seen and known. You want to be beautiful because you want to be seen and known. You want, to, you want social media because you want to be seen and known. Why is social media so addictive? Why is Facebook, Facebook? Why is Instagram so addictive? Because you want to be seen and known. Evidently, don't, do you guys check, like, when you post something, how many people like it or message you? Do you do that? We should all be like Sean Stark, right? But the weaker man than Sean would constantly be obsessed with it because you want to be seen and known. I'm not going to disrespect people. I love luxury cars. I wish I drove a luxury car. God bless you for driving a luxury car. And I'm not saying people who drive luxury cars in, in SBC is like this, but 
95% of the time, 5% of the time people are embraced, that doesn't, doesn't apply to you. 95% of the time who drive luxury cars, it's because they want to be seen and known. I once walked down the streets of Alexandria, Old Town, and this, this guy in a shiny sports car, cranking Katy Perry song out loud. Baby, you are fuck. In the middle of Alexandria, Old Town, I go, Someone has a complex. I want to be seen and known. That desire is a huge desire. But when you worship God, you know that you're seen and known by him. My wife had lunch with her friends yesterday. And one of her friends drove a Mercedes SUV or something. And my wife came to me and says, I think you make more money than him. Why don't you get a new car? And I said, woman, don't you know what Sean Stark would say? <laughs> if I drive a luxury car, how dare you? But the reason why I don't drive a luxury car is because I don't think there's any desire in me to be seen and known. I have no desire for other people to see, see me and know me. I really don't. I have no ambition to be a partner because I have no desire to be important in the eyes of the world. And the only reason I'm like that is not because I'm a great guy, but I'm seen and known by God. And that's huge. Jacob knew that as he worshiped God. What else does Jacob knew? He says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down. He says, okay, that's verse 3. I am God, the God, of the, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. What this verse reveals about God is, God is going to be faithful to Jacob, not because Jacob is a swell guy, but God is going to be favorable to Jacob. God is going to bless Jacob. Because of the promises he made to Abraham and Isaac. Because God is faithful. And what he promises, God will deliver. Verse 3, God is saying, Jacob, I'm going to bless you, not because you're a great guy, but because I made an oath to your forefathers to make you into a great nation. The second thing you, I, I understand as I walk with God, especially as I think about the scriptures, as I think about the gospel, as Matt Redmond, Matt, what's his name? Chandler, Matt, what? As I think about the Lord. Shane, Shane, whatever his name is, whatever, the, whatever Shane, whatever his name, name is, saying, when I think about the Lord, as I meditate upon the truth of the gospel in scripture, what oftentimes God reveals to me is God, is, God loves me and will bless me, not because I'm a swell guy. Clearly I'm not. How do I know? You tell me that I'm not, right? Not because I'm a swell guy but because of the promise he made 
of, to Abraham and Jacob. What did God promise Abraham and Jacob? Through Abraham, a great nation will be born. That great nation is a people of God. Ab- through Abraham, Christ came. Through Abraham, the salvation of the world came through Jesus Christ. God is going to bless me, not because I'm a small guy, but because of what Jesus Christ did for me. My confidence in the fact that God's going to be faithful to me and bless me is tied to my understanding that I am blessed in Christ. It is for the sake of Jesus Christ that God's going to bless me. And that's a huge relief because I sin all the time. And I fall all the time. And yet God never stops talking to me. And God never stops his grace to me. And God never stops his provision to me. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. So when I sin, I can go to God and I can confess my sin to God and know that God's going to forgive me and know he's, he's, go, he's going to continue loving me because I know God loves me through Jesus Christ. When I worship God, by his grace, I remember the Lord Jesus Christ. And that gives me such confidence in knowing that God is for me and not against me. When you worship God, remember the gospel. Remember that God doesn't love you because you're a swell person. Remember that God loves you because in Christ, Christ has paid for your sins. In Christ, God has redeemed you. In Christ, God has made you his sons. Because Christ has accomplished righteousness for you, God is for you. He doesn't rely on your records to love you. He relies on the records of Jesus Christ. Even when you fail, When you know the gospel, you know God is for you. When you worship God privately, remember the gospel. Not only that, what has God revealed to Jacob? Verse 4, I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Third thing that God reveals to Jacob in his worship, is that God is with Jacob. He's going to go with Jacob. He's going to go with Jacob to Egypt, right? That he is not alone. That God Almighty is with him wherever he goes. And the fourth thing that God reveals is God is in control of Jacob's time, including when he's going to die. When in verse 4, it says, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God means you're going to see Joseph, and Joseph is going to be next to you when you die. It means even his death, God knows. We are operating within the time frame of the sovereign God. When you realize all this, when you realize that he's, you're known and seen, when you realize that God loves you because of the gospel, when he knows you that he's sovereign over every aspect of your life on a daily basis, how can you not be filled with purpose and confidence and love? How can you not? 
when you drink from this worship every day, how can this not change you on a daily basis? People of God, you need to worship him privately. And you need to worship him publicly. God is not taking like a, like a, like a, like a spreadsheet of how many times you worshiped him. That's not the purpose of him wanting you to worship him. It's a matter of spiritual vitality. Back to me being tired. Look, I know what it means to be tired, I know. I, I told you. But you know what's weird? When you worship him properly, you feel more energy, and you want to do more things for him. It's crazy. I want to do more now. Yeah, so I'm paralyzed in the morning sometimes. So what? Right? I want to learn more. I want to read more. I want to reach out more. I want to evangelize more. There's a desire for me to do more. Because in the presence of God in worship, he gives you the energy to do more things for him. How can you not live without worship? How, why would you let, why would you just leave God alone and just go off your merry way? How can you live without worship? Please don't live without worship. I'm going dis- to, I have, like, that's literally only half of what I had to say. But because I'm a man of discipline, um, I will come back to this two weeks from now, right? And we'll continue. Let us pray.